Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. If you could choose right now what tomorrow would look like, and you had complete freedom, would you rather be consumed with something you're interested in? or be entertained. I mean, really think about that. And you can take it further if you feel exhausted and would like a day of some entertainment for for how long, two days, a week, a a month. And I ask this because I'm back for part two with Melody Beattie, legendary self-help pioneer, famed author of Codependent No More. And we're talking through her personal values, motives, and habits. In regards to spirituality and her overall ethos and purpose of life, she said, my job is to make life interesting and not have life entertained. Now, I I like some good entertainment as much as anyone. I love getting into a great story in a fiction book or a movie, but I'm aware that when I'm highly interested in something, I have little time for entertainment. And when I do read or watch something entertaining, it's generally to see people who are completely interested in something, whether that's a superhero or whatever, a cause, a mission, or a purpose. We love to watch that and be enmeshed in that. So would you rather voyeuristically watch people interested in something or be the person interested in something yourself. And on a similar note, Melody also shares how she keeps a barometer on herself regarding service to others. She even said, if I get too selfish, my life stops working well. And it showcases her primary interest in people. I also appreciated her quip to me saying, You want the truth or you want me to make something up? She's just as real as they come, which is why at age 74, one of her personal joys is listening to the Rolling Stones. You can get Melody's revised and updated codependent no more book, the one that sold over 7 million copies. You can get it anywhere as it's currently, again, at the top of the bestseller charts. Hey, if you find value in this self-helpful podcast, it'd be great if you leave a review. We've had a couple just this week, just raving reviews. One said the best podcast ever. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Best thing you can do though, is take these discussions, talk about them further with someone else. You can always connect with me and my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Well, next up, codependent, no more author, Melody Beatty's values, motives, and habits. Melody, we started the first show, our part one together, talking about spiritual, and you came out with it to, to not be codependent, to escape from that, to heal, recover from that. You don't know how to do that, conceptualize that outside of, well, I'll let you say that, outside of the acknowledgement of a higher power. God, you, you tell me. It's more like an intertwined guidance. I needed, I was so hooked in to what the other person was doing or not doing, what they might do or not do, that I, I wasn't aware of what was going on in here ever. I wouldn't describe myself as frantic, as out of control, as a little bit crazy, but I would describe the other person as that. I could not see myself, and that was the spiritual awakening and codependency that I needed to have. I needed to start 
having consciousness of myself. That's the one thing that differentiates us from animals. I mean, we can be very monkey-like, but we do have the ability to become conscious of ourselves, of our motivations, of why we're doing what we're doing. But we need to slow down long enough to tune into that. The guidance of a higher power is what can help us do that. I don't know. I, I... I pray probably much more than I'd ever like to admit to people, but that's my business, isn't it? Is it? I, Go ahead. I spend more time in meditation and spiritual reading than I would probably ever share with people, but yet it's an important part of my personal foundation. It works for me. It keeps me on track. It keeps me in harmony, aligned with myself and aligned with my values. It's one thing to know our values. It's another to live in alignment with them. And thus becomes the challenge of life. When you say guidance from a higher power, that's different than saying a mere acknowledgement of a higher power. Yeah. Let me try and go there now. It's just acknowledgement. With it comes the acknowledgement that I am not separate from a higher power. There is part of that higher power is in me. Part of that higher power is in you. There is light in each one of us. It's our job to nurture that light and bring it out and let more of it shine. When we look at codependency as filling a void, there's something in me that I need filled. I'm trying to get it done through you or somebody else. If we don't have that higher power, then it does feel daunting that it is all on me. And in a sense, it's hard for me not to separate from that the concept that I am God. If there's not something else out there, then it's all on me. I'm God. And that honestly, Melody, I, I ponder the relevant or the correlation of that between our current rise in depression and diseases of despair, that if it's all on me, that's, that's pretty weighty not to have too much. Yeah. Too much. It's way too much for any human. Your then practices, the habits that you said is primarily, and I want to hit on this. And this is actually one of the, one of the places we're going to come to is mental health. And when you look at spiritual and mental health, we can often sometimes combine those. And you talked so specifically in our part one together, talk about meditation. And if you could, you actually said, if I could give a gift, that's what it would be. To every human being, to every child, children, you know, children take to meditation so naturally. I mean, it, it, it was not as natural for me to take to meditation because it would annoy me. I mean, if I sat and tried to stare at a flower and meditate, I would just become very, very annoyed. I, I had that much anxiety in me. In 2018, I started a dedicated meditation practice with um, TM and it has changed my life. It's a meditation practice I can actually do because it is the only one that keeps the monkey mind quiet. Hmm. 
hmm. long enough for my brain waves to change <laughs> and to get normal again. Sometimes I need to do that once a day, sometimes twice. And what was the methodology again? TM? TM. Okay. Transcendental meditation. It's an old, old form. You get your own mantra in there. Mm-hmm. And during the meditation, instead of going, how is looking at this flower going to help me? You're repeating. You, it keeps the monkey mind busy because you are given your own mantra and you repeat this mantra over and over and over. And it allows the body to do what it needs to do, the mind to do. It allows us to reset. I am. I can now tell when I've reset because I will become aware of it and completely relax about the time my buzzer is going off on my phone telling me my 20 minutes are up. But it has changed my life. It takes time. I mean, I had, after my son died, I had so much anxiety. So, and then the things you'll read about in the next book, I was just a walking ball of anxiety 24 seven. And so I was forced into doing something. Thus I go back to, our path to well-being because if I didn't have all that anxiety I wouldn't have sought out a way to heal it and I wouldn't be here talking about it would I so there's a natural path to well-being for all of us and we will find it if that's our intention no matter our color no matter where we live no matter how much money we have there is a path to well-being for every human through their life on this planet I know that. Mentioning natural aspects, Melody, I thought about this when we talked earlier. You said you were born in 1948. Mm-hmm. Uh, every age has seen a lot of changes, uh, but you sure have seen a lot of changes. And thinking of meditation and being present and just having some time, it it feels like it used to come more naturally when you had to simply wait for things, whether uh, it was, you know, driving somewhere as a passenger or on a bus or whatnot, if it's going to the bathroom, anything you had times to wait. And now we do not have that. We do not have to wait. We do not have to be bored for a single second. Anything pre computers is a different world. It's a completely different world. And I will be the first person to say I am not in agreement with the World Wide Web. I think, I mean, it's tapped us in to the nervous systems of every other human being around this planet. And we're just like connected through the ethers. Our nervous systems, our anxiety, our worst fears, our trauma, all that comes together online, doesn't it? Or it can. I think I know that social media has been way too challenging for people. We we haven't had, there's a thing called social responsibility, and that's with anything we put out there into the world, with anything we offer into the world as a gift. We need to take a look at social responsibility, speaking of values, and if you look at the intentions behind why social media was created, if, did you watch the movie about why Mark Zuckerberg created um, Facebook? I mean, it was done as an act of revenge. And even making 
the Apple computer was done as a way of creating an alternative reality for people, a reality they'd want to live in more than they wanted to live in the world. Well, that wouldn't be hard to come up with, would it? Because the world can get pretty challenging. But you're right. There was a time when if I was bored, I had to find something to do that interested me. Mm -hmm. I didn't just have to pick up my phone and scroll till I wore the skin off my thumb. Um, And it's deprived us, I believe, of a large part of our creative process, of our human process, that process of getting bored and then saying, well, all right, what do I, it's my job to make my life more interesting. It's not life's job to interest me Hmm. and to keep me on my toes all the time and to keep me going. It's my job to find out what interests me, what I like, and find a way to do that that works for me. We don't need to be so tuned in to what everyone else is doing, why they're doing it, and if we're good enough, if we're not doing the same thing. It's, It's too much. It's too much pressure. And it's way, 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 way too much for our kids. They're... The other thing that social media has done is I've seen a lot of people, if they can't get the attention they want by doing a positive act, they will start behaving negatively to get attention. That's nothing new. It's been going on forever. But the things people are doing to get attention now include murder, harm, mayhem, and just acting like crazy assholes. (laughs) You know, I mean, that I, I... it's not good. Well, speaking of then attention, we're back to those A's that we talked about previously as well. And our need for that attention, for that approval, for that affirmation, all these needs that we have as opposed to being okay without them. Why do we need so much attention? And let's go. I mean, the next one here, Melody, is relationships, which is what your book is about. It's, it's codependency. I mean, that exists in relationships. And it's about our neglect of our most important relationship, and that's the one with ourselves. If we do not know how to love ourselves, number one, how can we expect anyone else to do it? Number two, how would we even know when it was happening? Speak to that in the frame. We're at a time now when I think we have people bristle somewhat at that idea of self-love, even if they kind of get it, it's still kind of, it can, it can feel bad. We've never had narcissism more in the headlines and, and, and a word that is. And so I see, it feels like a movement to push that off and say, no, nothing for me, nothing about me. And to a kind of a false humility of downplaying ourselves. And that's obviously not working either, but it's a gut reaction. And I, I see people, and I'm, again, as, yeah. as well, and I see you laughing that, yeah, we have that propensity then to, it's probably going, it's helping us, not helping, causing us to move away from self-love even more. The, when I was having a deep discussion with someone very important to me and trying to sort out what I wanted to say about self-love, in this revised edition, the person I was talking to said, what are you even talking about self-love? I mean, it can, it can be such a foreign concept. 
especially if we haven't experienced receiving love, which is why we need to start loving ourselves. If we've never consciously felt like the object of someone's love, like when we were a baby and infant, I know I was, I was snatched away from my mom when I was born. I never, I never had any of that. I didn't know what it felt like to be loved. And when faced with the fact of loving myself, it was like, oh, what does that even mean? And, and, and I turned it into more of a begrudging self-care. Mm. Like I was babysitting someone that I really wished its owner would come and take soon. And it, it felt like a burden to me. And what I realized is I had I picked up all my mom's feelings. I had become the voice of the most negative person in my life toward myself, whether I was in a state of stress, a state of joy, a state of confusion. I could only imitate the voice I had heard throughout my childhood. There was, there was nothing more to draw on. So I had to create a new voice. I had to create a new voice, a loving voice. And as you know, if you've been a parent, you do know how to love. You do know how to love. You know how to love unconditionally. You know how to love in a way that inspires, makes the other person feel safe, helps the other person to stabilize themselves. That's what we need to give to ourselves. I, I, I you know, I'm so turned off by this phrase too because it's been used so much. But we all do have an inner child in us. That's part of self-love, taking care of the needs of this kind of fussy child in ourselves that wants approval, that wants all this, keeping it happy. And there's also a more adult self-love that says, you know, you can handle this. You can handle this. You can do this. Just let it go for a bit. Let the dust settle, you know, get rid of all the reactions and then sort how you want to genuinely respond to this. What do you think would be the best way to do this? And if we don't know, we get help. Going to Al-Anon, seeing a therapist. Well, they have something new they have now is life coaches. Mm -hmm. Now, on your podcast, you talk about those, sure. right? Yep. Um, which, which is good. It makes, um, the world has changed a lot, but it does make mental health care much more readily available to people. We need more health care for our kids, too. It's so hard for people to get mental health care for their kids if they don't have insurance and they don't have money. What we're doing is ra raising a generation of kids that have mental health issues but aren't getting the care that they need. And yet, when we give a person the ability to meditate to go into and connect with their own rhythms, their own impulses, who they truly are, not this shell we've created to react to people around us. We can find our path to well-being. And it's amazing how young kids even, they, they take to meditation, they'll meditate, and then they'll go find the next thing they naturally want to do. Kids have a natural way of being with and loving themselves. And yes, we need to grow beyond our childish infantile behaviors, but we don't need to grow beyond this pure expression of our light, of who we are, 
of what feels right to us to do, of our natural inclinations. And there is a difference between our good inclinations and the ones that are going to do us in. You said in the initial information that I got from you, the longer this lifetime goes, the more convinced I am that our primary responsibility in life is to find a way to make peace with ourselves, our past and our present. And Melody, even reading that peace is a word I keep coming back to. We use the words fulfillment and happy and all these things. And yet as as time goes on, I think I, I feel at least for me, what I most want peace the other things are like clouds in the sky, huh. the happy, all, yeah. all of those. Those are clouds. They go by in the sky. Peace is the sky. When you look at relationships then and say, first and foremost, the first relationship, the most important relationship is the one we have with ourselves. So we start there. We should start there. Then for you personally, looking at values, what do you look for as you look towards relationships with others? Because I, I know by your book, there were things that you looked for in an unhealthy place, in a codependent place that you now are saying, no, I do not want that. I want X. What's the highlight? The highlights. Respect, mutual respect, trust, mutual trust. And an ability to converse, that, that's for starters. And then we have to jump in, you know. We need we need to be open to red flags, not what the other person is doing wrong. It's not about controlling other people. It's what's a red flag for me here? What triggers me? Hmm. Or maybe nothing, we don't have to look for problems. Maybe nothing is triggering us. Maybe we can just enjoy the relationship. I don't think that happens that much anymore, though. do you? Or people just delightfully jump into a new relationship, whether it's a friendship or anything else. We've all got a little bit of um, skepticism we're wearing right now about who we can trust and how much. That's why I go back to meditation. When we meditate, we start to learn who we can trust and for what. And we learn that we can trust ourselves. That will be enough. If someone does something really out of, we'll handle it. We'll deal with it. It's this inherent trust in ourselves. And that comes from, for me anyway, a connection with source. Whether we call it nature, source, God, whatever the words we prefer are. But it comes from a deeper connection. Because just on my own, you know, it's so sketchy. But if I'm connected to source, I'm okay. I had this question when we talked previously and I was going to save it for here, talking about relationships, what you value, what your habits are here. But as we look at the anxiety that we have in a codependent relationship, and you mentioned the word, the fear that has one that has been incredibly curious and concerning, even for myself, Melody of looking at a relationship and where does that power come from? I've looked at times when I am anxious, I am wrapped up in another person and felt even to try to step back and be biased and go, that person doesn't really have power over me. They're not going to hurt me. I'm not afraid they're going to whip out a gun. They're going to abuse me. I'm a a grown man. 
where on earth is the root of this anxiety from? It does not make any logical sense to me, and yet it's there. And as you talk about the current culture we're in, it feels like it exists more. I'd be interesting to know a study if it existed of how many people were in a codependent state when you wrote this book initially and how many are now. And I would say percentage-wise, we have more. And why are we giving people more power than ever? And why is it so strong? Well, luckily, the cure for codependency is the same as a cure for anxiety. And it's massive doses of self-love. Hmm. Not self-indulgence, not narcissism, none of that. Just good old genuine self-love. Wrap ourselves up like a wombat and find a corner and love ourselves till we feel like we can wobble out and be ourselves again. And that that's enough. It's okay. We don't have to go out there leading a big marching band. We don't have to know everything all the time. We can be who we are at any point in time. Whether that means we're sad, we're angry, we're upset, we're distracted, any of it. I'm going to keep going back to meditation. We can't really start even working on our behaviors until we've stopped this high-speed trauma and anxiety that has just permeated our world and permeated our kids. Our kids are going to suffer the worst from it. They don't have as many resources as we do to deal with it. And then bombarded by the excess of resources that we have, like social media, as you talked about. I know. It's very concerning. It's very concerning what's happening to the children of the world right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. In this aspect, Melody, of self-love, of caring for ourselves, just the simple, tangible aspect of health and wellness for you, I, that's a big one for me to, to part of loving myself is taking care of myself. So I have the capacity to be okay, to feel okay. Uh, even internally, as you said, it's an inside job. Uh, and then from that, then to go and serve others, which I really want to do. So just from a basic health and wellness side. So you said from a mental health aspect, obviously meditation is paramount. What about just the aspects even of how you feed yourself and exercise yourself? What do you, what are your values there? And what do you do, Melody? Um, I love my workout routine. It's um, the five Tibetan rites. And you actually do yoga, but you do it um, aerobically. You do like repetitions of them. And my podcast room also doubles as my yoga workout room. So I, I it is my intention, unless I'm sick or I've got structural damage, to do those rights, those five rights every day. And it grounds me. It It, it is almost as helpful and just as necessary as the meditation to find a workout routine that moves my body. I can't walk as much as I used to because of, because of spinal cord damage, but I, mm. I I can do yoga and I can do it well. So. How about on the nutritional side? Anything that you adhere to there? Five years ago, I started eating a little chicken and a little turkey again. I hadn't eaten any for 15 years, so I, I'm pretty much on a vegetarian diet if you consider chicken and turkey vegetables. Um, I live alone most of the time, so I don't I don't have a big meal setting thing, but I try to buy good food. 
and I try to feed myself well when I'm hungry and not just when I'm bored. Yeah. The other thing, one more thing yes. that I'm learning is so important. When we eat, no matter what we eat, and it's to bless what we put in our bodies, mm. to bless the food, to say thank you for it. No matter what it is we're putting in our bodies, to bless it. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to remember that because of my lifestyle. I kind of eat like a monk living in a cave, you know. <laughs> right. But um, it's very important to put some divinity into our connection with our body. Huh. What we do with it what we put in it, how we use it, and to take the time to remember that we are. I mean, look at what I do for my creations. If we are indeed God's creations, I mean, he would want us to take care of ourselves, wouldn't he? Yeah. Or yes. she. Or yes. them. Yes. Mind and mental health is a category I go through. And again, you talked uh, you have continually about meditation. Anything else that you look at from your mind and mental state that is uh, a value and a habit that you try to be conscious of for yourself, for your own wellness? Being of service. Hmm. Explain that. Well, if I get too selfish, my life stops working. Often when I'll start a new project, it will be at that same point that like a friend will come up and say, I really need you to do this for me. And I know they really need me to do that for them. And I'll go, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, I've decided by then that, no, I'm not doing it begrudgingly. I'm doing it because I want to be of service. This is important. I want to do this for my friend. I'm going to do it. And I will kind of do it as a sacrifice for the project. Like I'm going to put this out there first before I go out seeking for myself. Is it like a budget in mind that as you go along throughout the day, the week, the month, whatever, there's a certain amount where you know I need to be in participating in service to others for me to? I'll know when I've gotten too lazy. Okay. You know, being selfish is not a problem for most of us as humans. True. You know, we True. will fall into that quite easily. So I'll know when I've gotten too stingy with my giving and I need to give a little bit more and be of service. And COVID has made it easy, I think, for many of us to be of service in helpful ways. Yeah. Speaking to that and of how it changed things, so work and career and business. And I want to ask you what you value there, but I have a question in response to codependency as we talk about it primarily in regards to relationships with other humans I would venture to say we can be pretty darn codependent with our work, with the things we do and with our achievements. And in looking to those again, to feed us those A's, those affirmations, those uh, acceptances, those things that we need. And if our work is not working out to give us those, then we're in a similar place of anxiety and void. I just really want to keep sending you back to living by spirit. Okay. Please <laughs> but do. I haven't I haven't written it yet. <laughs> okay, give me the give me some essence here in regards to the work then and how we go wrong with it. All right. Say we have our work and we're at the top of the mountain with it. What happens when that mountain crumbles? Mm -hmm. What happens when we crumble? 
what happens when we get sick and we, we're told we're going to die for maybe 10, 15 years that we are in the process of ending our life. Then where we can't eat our money and we can't use money to make ourselves happy, not for more than a moment. It, it, there, there needs to be something more in life than that. And for most of us, it's finding our purpose, finding a purpose that we're okay with. I, but again, I don't even think people can do it when they're not aligned with themselves. I mean, I can't find anything when I'm not aligned with myself. I can't find my car keys when I'm not aligned with myself. Mm-hmm. It just needs to come first. Do that first. Then I'll tell you the next thing. Get peaceful first. Learn how to be peaceful. Learn how to take yourself from a vibrating mess into a little calmer, more calmer. Okay, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's um, it's our perspective, but anxiety is real. It it is, it is truly, I would say, one of our biggest mental health issues right now, mm-hmm. because if we can't get relief from it we've there's so many other connected issues with it that need tending when, so yeah i'm i'm gonna keep sending y'all, y'all back to meditation for yeah. a while when you get that down i'll, I'll be back <laughs> okay deal when you went through your own transformative time of recognizing and working out of codependency as i ask about work and you already, you mentioned money, which is the next category work and money. Did you see your relationships with those things that can be high, uh, primary causations of our anxiety? And, and I would say codependency. Did you see those shift automatically? You want a true story or do you want me to make something up? I want the truth. All right. Okay. I was a single parent writing. And when I was writing for the paper, I made 50 bucks a story. That wasn't very much to live on yeah. back then. And I did not get any child support. I did not get any any money from anyone. So I, I wrote and turned in Codependent No More, and I got a $500 advance for the book, which wow. even back then wasn't enough for one month's expenses, was it? Mm-hmm. So I the publisher wanted me to go out to the book fair in in um, Las Vegas and I did and I got there and I didn't have my badge on I couldn't get in and I had to open my suitcase and I'm digging through all my underwear looking for my badge and my editor runs up to me and she said Melody, codependent no more just hit the bestseller list I know and it just was but yet I had all my clothing like strewn all over but that set this whole problem in motion in, in my monkey mind because after it is, what if it, what if it doesn't last? Well, and nothing lasts forever, yeah. does it? Nothing. And I made a very concrete decision then to let go of the bestseller list, hmm. to let go of that external validation, and trust the same power that had gotten me that power far, that same source. And that if I could, I called it walking on water because I could look around and I couldn't see that much in my life to really substantiate it. But it's like, well, then don't look down. Don't look at that stuff. Just keep going and living by spirit. So 
that helped a lot. That helped a lot, making that decision to detach myself from the financial returns on my book, although I very much needed those. I mean, it was part of my intentions. I wanted to make a good living, a decent living. Well, in fact, I wanted to be a millionaire. Um, But that was just something I put out in one of my goal-setting sessions and let go of it. Um, Yeah. It's interesting for you to say nothing lasts forever. I get that, and yet... The uh, the revised book that I hold in my hand has done, done pretty stinking good to be at 7 million <laughs> copies and to help you achieve that uh, uh, desire for abundance for yourself financially and otherwise. Well, my main desire, though, I, I want to say, you know, I'm, I'm a real believer in setting our intentions. And I wanted to write a book that if someone was coming to a therapist, the therapist wouldn't have to sit here and go through these three hours. They could say, read this book, come back for the next session, and we'll talk. Because I knew how hard it was to someone all embroiled in their codependency to even understand what we're talking about. So I wanted to make it clear. I wanted to sort the language for people. without judgment, to understand this thing that happens to us that makes us pretty much lose our minds in relationships and then give them not just intellectual information, but the encouragement and the empowerment they needed to go on their path because that's what had helped me. That's what had helped me. And I I made it, it was very personal. Nothing is in this book that did not directly help me or someone else I know well. I mean, it's the litmus test. And then I figured the next 36 years gave us a chance to do proof of concept. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Well, when you talk about the value of being of service to others in a healthy, non-codependent way, Tell me your value in regards to work and feeling that you are being of service in your work, in your vocation. I have to want to do what I'm doing. I have to have that spark in here. If I do it for the money, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. It has to start with that spark of, yeah. This is the seed I want to plant. This is the flower I want to grow. This is the flower I want to give to the world and say, here. Hmm. That's pretty much all I know. The rest I go on by instinct. But I, and I usually take about five years from the time I get an idea until I act on it. I give it, like I was saying before, the analogy with um, bread dough. I give the dough time to rise. Time to make sure it's what I really want to do. Time, you know, time to test it with people, see how they respond to it, and see if I still feel the same way about it. It's a very um, patient process. I don't believe we can do anything of value in this world. Number one, without meditation, and number two, without enormous amounts of patience. Yeah. I hear so many people bragging about not being patient, not having any patience, and I. There's no way, no way I would even be here in this chair talking to you today if I didn't have patience, if I hadn't developed that. And if you tell people, yeah, go practice patience, they're going to go, you know, who nobody wants to do that. And yet, if we're talking about 
being successful humans on this planet, patience is such an invaluable value and asset. We cannot do it without patience. We can't. Yeah, I think patience, selling that is kind of like selling fasting. It's not not real sexy. <laughs> it's not the thing people want to do, me included. Melody, tell me about achievements is the last category here. And it's interesting as you talk about being informed that your book's on the bestseller list, list and then realizing you've got to let that go. So, But it didn't stop you from wanting achievements, but it obviously changed the value of how you perceive them. Yes, or how you yeah. pursue them. Yes, I don't have plaques. I don't have New York Times bestseller plaques on my walls. I, I try and look at the heart value of it. And I keep coming back to self-love, what the book means to others, what the book means to myself. The book was my ticket to freedom. I don't mean, I mean, by forcing me, by creating such a driving curiosity in me that I was determined to find out what caused it, what I needed to do to get better, why people would get into it, why they would stay in it, when did it happen, how did it happen, and why isn't anyone else talking about it? I mean, I was genuinely curious hmm. about all these things. And I think that's, that's another thing. We need to be curious. Google doesn't have all the answers. It doesn't. <laughs> there is a deeper life curiosity that we can develop and then maybe Google can help out now and again, but we, we're not going to get our answers on Google. Oh. Last thing, tell me about some of your, in the aspect of loving yourself and self care and some of the things that you do just for you. They're just for you. They make your light shine, whether that's, you know, dancing or gardening or reading a book. What are the things that you, uh, that you do? I like reading books. I like, I love listening to the Rolling Stones. I listen to them while I do yoga. And I have a rabbit. I have a, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Melody, thank you. Uh, thank I've you. enjoyed our time together. I hope we meet again this way and I, and I can talk well, about living by spirit. I'm just going to be waiting around for the next book. Uh, it's, it's very hard to do a tour and then take half your book out of your head, yeah. you know, and then like just let the other half be in there. But codependency, it, we, we're not, it's not going to mean anything until we all get a grip on our anxiety and yeah. trauma and it's contagious and our society is filled with it right now. It's just riddled with it. When you, I do want to pull out that you have... Let's see, you were born, you told us when you were born, 1948, which makes you how old? 74. 74. Uh, you have a lot of peers who are content not to be doing much anymore at this point, and you are on a book tour and writing your next book. You know what I remembered that helped me with that? That's one of the reasons I chose to be a writer, because I kept thinking, you know, no matter if I get injured, no matter if I get old, I can write till the day I die. <laughs> and I love writing. I mean, I, my daughter is also a writer. She loves having written. Mm -hmm. I love writing. I'm just in my glory when I'm sitting there pulling it all together and editing. I could edit endlessly, but that's my joy is in the actual writing. So, and I get to do that as long as this keeps working. Yeah. 
Well, I am, uh, I am grateful that that keeps working. I hope it continues to, and, uh, it would be a, an incredible honor to have you back on, but thank you for this for now, for the revision of the book and for being of so much service to so many people, including me. Thank you, Melody. Oh, that's lovely. You're welcome. And thank you. Well, friends, again, you can get Melody Beattie's revised and updated book, Codependent No More, everywhere. Uh, it's updated. It's revised. It's got a totally new chapter relevant for our times on trauma, and it is at the top of the bestseller charts right now. Thank you, as always, for choosing to tune into this self-helpful podcast. I uh, appreciate the great ratings and reviews. And best thing you can do is, again, pass this forward. Talk about the concepts more. It'll help you digest them more, and it'll help other people as well. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.